You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. Okay, today we start Matthew, right? Um, I don't know if you've been excited, but I've been gearing up for this for a very long time. Um, and I'm very excited, excited to start in Matthew. If you pre-ordered a book like, what, a month and a half ago, and you have not picked it up, they're here. So this is informal, but come get your book. Um, if you don't know who you are, I have your list, but um, you're going to need these today. So um, two, okay. I don't, know, I don't know who you are, but come, don't be shy. Come get your book. Otherwise, you'll have catching up to do. Anyone else? I'm going to run down my list. Danielle, did you get yours already? Okay. Someone made something with barbecue sauce and brown sugar, maybe? Bacon? Um, okay, let's see. Um, making sure everybody got there. Okay, well, these folks hadn't shown up to pick theirs up, so we can wait a week and get it next week. If you um, dropped your name in the plate for one last week, um, they are shipped and they should be here ideally by next Sunday. Okay, so say a prayer because you know how it takes to get things to Alaska via the mail. It takes a little bit longer than the average. Um, This morning, we are in the book of Matthew. We are going to be in the book of Matthew for, yeah, for roughly 76 plus weeks, okay? It sounds like a long time, but I promise you it will be an exciting journey as we learn what it means to follow Jesus um, in, uh, in a really neat way. So I'm going to get to the top of the sermon here. And if you guys flip to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to get there in just a second. Um, I want to explain this to you for a moment. Now, because some of you have them in your hands, <clears throat> some of you might not. You might not want one. You might want one. It's totally up to you. But this is basically... Um, the outline of where we're going to go for the next year and a half, okay? So you've got a page to take notes, a place for questions that I will ask you that you can reflect on later with the small group community group, uh, and the text and the title. So um, basically each page is a different week of sermon. They're not dated because if we get off track, right, better just not to date them just in case. So if we get off track for some reason, uh, we'll just jump right back in where we left off. There are blank pages in the back for you to take extra notes, prayer requests, Um, a topical sermon that we throw in every now and again, those kinds of things. And then in the very front of the book, um, there is a fast facts on the gospel of Matthew. This is not all-inclusive. There's a lot more to know about who wrote it, why he wrote it, who he wrote it to. But there's some, just a a kind of like a fly-by the 30,000-foot level overview, the book of Matthew, just for your information. Um, And so those are all in there. But we are um, on page 12 today talking about John the Baptist. But before we dive into it, I want to ask the question. I'm not used to having this huge book up here. Everything's out of order. Um, Why should we study the book of Matthew? It's the question I wrestled with. Like, I could have picked any book um, to go into for a year and a half. Now, maybe maybe not some of the shorter books, although I could have drug it out. Um, Why the book of Matthew? Why should we study this one now? And that was the the question that I've been wrestling with, oh, for probably a good six months as I was praying, trying to figure out what we should do in the new year. Um, And the Lord laid a few things on my heart. um, And namely, there is something very important that Matthew tells us. 
Matthew tells us some very, very important things. I don't have my remote, so you might just want to um, click ahead with me as we go. Um, Matthew tells us something very important about Jesus. And this would be the first slide, so as we get it up there, you can follow along. Matthew tells us about Jesus that he is three things. That he is our king, that he is our prophet, and that he is our savior. Um, yeah, that works. It tells us about Jesus. It's the first little mark up here. That he's our king, that he's our prophet, and that he's our savior. These are the, the, the theologies about Jesus that Matthew really hits home on. When he talks about Jesus, when you learn about Jesus from the book of Matthew... It's going to have to do with the fact that he's a king, he's a prophet, he's our savior. These are really good titles for Jesus. He's our king, he's our prophet, he's our savior. We also read Matthew because of what it tells us about discipleship. This whole book is a book in a study of discipleship, how to follow Jesus. You could say that just about of any gospel because they track with Jesus' lifestyle, right? Where he goes and what he does and how he talks to his disciples, and what he asks his disciples to do, that's discipleship, and he models it for us. Matthew tells us about a life of discipleship to this king, prophet, and savior. But it also encourages us to preach the gospel. That's the third thing that this book teaches us. It gives us encouragement to preach the good news and to see the kingdom grow. In fact, in the book of Matthew, um, you'll see the term Kingdom of God, or kingdom, um, a lot. It's one of the biggest themes in the Gospel of Matthew, kingdom. Matthew really wants us to know that God's got a kingdom, and he wants it to be here and now where we live, and he's invited us to participate in that kingdom. And in that, we have this great encouragement to go preach the good news and share the gospel with people so that they can be a part of this great kingdom. In fact, um, if you combine all of these three elements, the, the Jesus and the discipleship and the preaching the good news, you get a really simple outline. Um, the book of Matthew can be outlined, if you flip backwards in your Matthew book um, to page 9, I've got an outline of the Gospel of Matthew for you. And this is the Gospel um, outline that is kind of like the following Jesus outline. Where is he going and what is he doing outline? Um, It's kind of the roadmap, if you will, and I like that in the book because sometimes you forget where he is. When you read the stories, you just read them and you sometimes take them out of context of time and place and location and how far he might have had to travel and who he might have been speaking to. But when you can see cities and areas and locations, you kind of get the idea. So that's the roadmap. But there's a a simpler outline that you uh, you can think of the book of Matthew in, and it's this. It's just three parts. The king comes to dwell with his people, chapters 1 through roughly 4. The king comes to dwell with his people. And then 4 through 16, the king is declaring his kingdom. This is what the kingdom is going to look like, says Jesus. And then the king destroys his enemy from 16 forward. So the king has a kingdom. He lives in the kingdom with his people, and then he destroys the enemy. And that's a beautiful outline, I think, too. It focuses on the kingship of Jesus. I'll leave that slide up there for you guys for just a moment if you want to mark that one down. Um, there's another reason I chose this book. Um, our board has been um, laboring and praying and discussing and seeking um, who we are as a church. Who do we want to be? What's the kind of disciple that if someone grows up in this church and 
30 or 40 years later, goes away from this church to serve somewhere, gets married, and goes off to another city to live, what are the characters that we, characteristics that we want them to have? What do we want this disciple to look like? And we've decided that our vision and our value, our hope and our dream for disciples in this church is that they would love Jesus, serve people, and build community. And we're going to talk about this um, at the, uh, the family meeting after church. But we would hope and dream that every believer in Christ would love Jesus with their whole heart, soul, mind, and body. That everything that they do and are is all about loving Jesus. That we hope that those people who love Jesus would serve people. Because that's the example that Jesus set for us. That we would love him and we would serve people like he served people. And lastly, to build community. That's what Jesus did, right? He walked around from town to town sharing the kingdom and building this kingdom community of people who love Jesus, focused on loving him and serving people and building a greater community. And these three themes are played out in the Gospel of Matthew over and over and over and over again. So as we've, as we've begun to kind of wrestle with this identity of loving Jesus, serve people, and build community as a board, it really laid on my heart this gospel for our study for a year because for the next year or so, we're really going to hit home this idea of what it means to love Jesus and serve people and build community and how we can live that out in our daily lives. And I dare say that just about every message we will hear um, has one of those themes in it, which is why um, there's a space for community group questions in your book. And the bottom question is already pre-printed for you every single week. What does this week's passage teach us about loving Jesus, serving people, and or building community? Because we need to constantly come back to the things that are the most important, and that's loving Jesus, serving people, building community. Matthew will talk a lot about those things. So, if you have your Matthew books, flip to them, uh, page 12. If you have your Bibles with you, flip to them. I will not give you a page number. Um, Matthew chapter 3, okay? It's 808 in my Bible, not the same in your Bible. We're going to pray, and then we're going to read our first chapter in the book of Matthew. Lord, I'm thankful this morning um, to have such a rich gospel to dive into. Um, I, it's not the longest gospel, Father. It's the second longest. Um, but, Lord, there is a richness in the gospel of Matthew that I am just falling in love with over and over and over again as I read it. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, not just today, but as we're in this um, for the long haul. For the next year and a half, give or take a couple weeks or two or three, Lord, would you speak to us about how much you love us, primarily that you sent your son to die for us, to cover our sins, and that you love us so much. And I pray that as we read the gospel day in and day out, week in and week out, that you would impress upon us your love for us. And then, Lord, that that love would motivate us to love you and to serve the people around us, to see the needs and to meet them in love, to demonstrate this love that we have experienced. Lord, I also pray that as we do that, you would build the community. We recognize that we're just your servants, and we're just going to follow where you're going, that you, you pave the path. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those in our community, that be softened towards your gospel, towards your love, and that as we wrestle with our identity in you and come to know and love you and serve you and build this community with you, that as we read in Acts this morning, we'd see an increase, not because of our own work, but because of yours. 
We pray that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work in our hearts, in our homes, and in our city this morning and for the rest of eternity until you come back. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, if you would, stand with me for the reading of the word. This is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And there's a reason we're diving into chapter 3 and not chapter 1, and I'll get there in just a moment. Chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I will baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. You may be seated. There's a lot up in this verse, this beginning chapter. Um, as, I, as I said earlier, we study the Gospel of Matthew because it tells us a lot about Jesus. And we, we come to church because of Jesus, right? We don't come for the potlucks. We don't come because the chairs are comfortable. We don't come because we like the singing. We don't come because we're friends with one another. Those are good reasons to come, but those are not the reason that we gather together. The reason we gather together is Jesus, to glorify him, to learn more about him. And the very first thing that you learn in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is king. And not just any king, but the king, right? The king of kings. Chapter 1 in Matthew sets up the genealogy of Jesus, right? And it's this genealogy that proves that Jesus is the promised one that's descended from the promises that God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the way down the line in the tribe of Judah, in the lineage of kings and priests, He's the one that God promised David. One day there will be a king that will sit on your throne who will rule forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. We learn from the very first chapter that Jesus is the king of kings. But not only was his lineage kingly and messianic, his conception was as well, right? So we have his lineage in chapter 1, and in chapter 2 we get his um, holy and miraculous god ordained conception we read in the christmas story that his holy spirit overshadowed mary that she conceived a boy and bore him forth and his name was called emmanuel meaning god with us chapters one and chapters two are all to set up in the mind of the reader that jesus is the king that 
if you get nothing else out of the book of Matthew, it's that Jesus is your king. He's a good king and a wild king and a wonderful king. And Matthew wants us to set up in our minds this fact before you even get any further, that you have no choice but to be faced with the question, do I believe that Jesus is king? Because that question determines how you will read the rest of the gospel. If you do not believe that Jesus is king, the rest of the gospel is a great story about a guy who lived, and maybe it's true and maybe it's not. But if in that first couple chapters, one, two, and three, you are faced with the question that Jesus is king, yes or no, and if the answer is yes, even though I'm not sure what it means, or yes, adamantly, I know what this means, then you must listen differently to the rest of the chapters. And you must apply the words to your life. By the help of the Holy Spirit, you will grow knowing what it means to follow King Jesus. So chapters 1 and 2 set us up the history of the coming of the king. Chapter 3 does the same thing in a slightly different tone. When you flip to chapter 3, there's a great deal of time that has passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. 25, 28 years, give or take, depending between the birth of Jesus and the proclamation that John makes. Jesus and his cousin, John the Baptist, um, are all grown up now. And this is where we're going to jump in. Chapters 1 and 2 focus on the history and the origin of the king. And chapter 3 focuses on the proclamation of the king. The very first um, from the voice proclamation to the people that the king is coming. And we read that in Matthew chapter 3. As John the Baptist says quite clearly, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is one coming who is greater than I. The king is coming. He's like rolling out the red carpet, if you will, right? And something that we need to know about John is that John loved Jesus, okay? John loved Jesus. He loved Jesus as a cousin and a friend, right? They grew up together. How many of you have cousins, right? Did you hang out with them when you were little? Were they older than you and did they play jokes on you? No? Oh, good, okay. Um, I have one cousin. I'm the oddity. When people talk about family reunions and cousins, I got one. Okay? I don't really know what it's like to have a lot of cousins. I know it's like that one cousin. John and Jesus, they were cousins. They grew up in region near each other. They were friends. They played together. They learned to walk together and talk together and, I don't know, um, play kick the rock around the yard. I don't know what they did for fun. Okay? The Bible doesn't tell us. But they grew up together. John loved Jesus as a cousin and as a friend, they were born a few months apart. Even so much that, get this, when um, John was still in the womb and Mary came to visit Elizabeth, what happened to John? Yeah, Scripture says he leapt in the womb of Elizabeth because he was so excited to be in the presence of his Savior. That's really exciting, right? Um, John loved Jesus even from the moment he was conceived. They grew up together. Um, they went to family festivals and feasts and gatherings and more. But he also loved Jesus as Lord and Savior, devoting his ministry and his life and his time to Jesus and his kingdom. He recognized that Jesus was king, and so he devoted his love towards that king. From the time that John was conceived, he was set apart by God to proclaim the coming of Jesus, to proclaim the king to a new generation. He was... Um, sent into the world to call people from the burden of the law towards the kingdom of grace. 
And he was so committed to Jesus and to the ministry that he spent his entire life preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, your sins are, are an obstacle between you and God. So why don't we repent of those things so that when the kingdom appears, when Jesus the king comes on the scene, then you can have no obstacle between you and him. And you can receive him and his baptism. And it's very exciting. And John is really excited about this. But he says the terminology, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not the kingdom of heaven is on its way. Not the kingdom of heaven will be here in three years. Not the kingdom of heaven is at some point undefined in the future. But the kingdom of heaven is when? Yeah, at hand. John was like, it's now, folks. Like, I grew up with this guy, and you don't know it, but I know it. And it's here. And it's imminent. And it's right around the corner. And prepare your hearts, folks. Anybody watch Godspell ever in their life? No? No. Okay, reference out of the water. Um, there's this great, uh, it's, it's a kind of story of Jesus set in the 60s hippie era. Um, kind of very interesting. But there's a song that John the Baptist sings. It's very cool. YouTube it. It's kind of neat. But it's a song called Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord. Just a neat song. Anyway, I think of that song when I read this passage. Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. Now, John loved Jesus um, as a cousin and a friend as the king of his life and as the um, leader of the new kingdom, but he also loved Jesus more than he loved his own self-identity. Let's wrestle with that one for a moment. John loved Jesus more than he loved himself, his own identity. He didn't strive for increasing his own name. John didn't. In fact, he, he must decrease. Jesus must increase, is what he says. He didn't strive for increasing his own name, but rather to live a more humble life so that Jesus could be exalted. He didn't have the greatest house, right? He lived in the desert, okay? Um, he lived in the wild. He didn't eat at the best restaurants. He did eat organically, but he did not eat at the best restaurants that the area had to offer. He ate bugs and wild honey. And he wore homemade clothing, right, that was camel hair and scratchy, and he looked a little different smelled a little different than his countrymen. Yet none of that affected the identity that he had, his own self-worth. Because his self-worth was not wrapped up in him, his self-worth was wrapped up in the king. The king is the one who gave him an identity. The king is the one who said, John, I love you, therefore you're worth it. John loved Jesus more than he loved his own self-identity. He loved Jesus. You know, John also served people. John ministered to people as a preacher. He got the call early in life, before he was even born, to preach the gospel to people. And he ministered as a preacher and a baptizer, like a traveling revivalist. He came out of the wilderness, looking like camel hair, sticky like honey, bugs between his teeth, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is right now. Okay? A little weird, right? If someone came out of the wilderness looking like that, it would draw some attention. He didn't have a people group he was aiming for. He was aiming for people, okay? Um, anyone who would listen is who he spoke to, rich or poor, leaders or uneducated, drunkards, priests, singles, couples, young, old, all of them people, all of them sinners, all of them need King Jesus, and his message was for everyone. 
but his message in this passage has a distinct focus. While it is for everyone, he kind of hit home on the religious leaders of the day. He kind of hit home on, guys, you've been so burdened by the law, and I don't know how you figured out that I was preaching about a new kingdom and Jesus and this revolution that's about to come, but if you're going to be baptized for the repentance of sin, know that it means something totally different for your life, and you, you don't go back to what you did. He had some very strong words for the religious leaders of the day. He challenged their values and their mindset and said, folks, if you are repentant of your sin, then the law is not your leader anymore. King Jesus is your leader. He served all people. And he had some quirks, right? The strange clothing, the bugs, living in the wild, smelling like camels. But God used his uniqueness to help serve people. Um, When people saw John the Baptist, they thought he was the prophet, Elijah, come back. The way that he dressed and the things that he said, the way that he acted, the food that he ate, very reminiscent of the prophet of old who preached the same things, wore the same things, um, ate the same things. They recognized in his eccentric lifestyle that this guy was set apart for something different, and they listened because it was different, and it reminded him them of something else, something that they'd been taught down the line about God. So they paid attention. And verse 5 tells us that these people came to him from Jerusalem, Judea, and the outer areas, right? Jerusalem, Judea, all the ends of the earth. That's the Great Commission, right? You'll be my disciples through Jerusalem, Judea, and all of the ends of the earth. And People came to hear John from Jerusalem, Judea, and the greater area, the ends of the earth, as it were. Here's a map of that area. You've got Jerusalem down here by the green dot, okay? Nazareth up here, home of Jesus, and Capernaum, okay, I can't pronounce it, Sea of Galilee over here. Um, It's about 120 miles from Capernaum through Nazareth down to the Jerusalem area. If you go straight up, it's 90, but that takes you through Samaria, and a good Jew wouldn't do that, okay? So it's about 120 miles down to this area over here, 130 depending on how you go. Um, People were traveling from far and wide to hear John the Baptist say, you're all sinners, but God loves you. There's a new kingdom coming, and he wants you to be part of it. They came from far and wide to hear that message. John was uniquely positioned with gifts and talents and a voice to proclaim the world Uh, to proclaim repentance to the world. And the other way that he served people is he served through truthfulness. You ever thought about that? That's a way to serve people, being truthful with them. Um, He ministered as a preacher. He used his quirks that God gave him. He leveraged them to preach the message. But then he spoke the truth. He didn't gather a flock of people and preach prosperity gospel. He didn't gather a flock of people and say that your life is always going to be happy and always going to be wealthy and you're always going to have what you want. He preached the absolute truth because no good service begins with a falsehood. And a falsehood could be an omission of truth as well. He didn't lure the people in with claims about himself. He didn't put up billboards and promise health and wealth. He loved Jesus and he preached Jesus Because Jesus is the truth. He spoke to the crowds and did the best service he could. He said, there's sin. And sin gets in the way between you and God. But don't worry, because God's got a plan, and he's working it out right 
now. And you can participate. God can forgive your sins. You can be part of this great kingdom, this body of believers that he's developing to do great works around this area. You can be a part of it regardless of what you've done. God's got a place for you in this kingdom. He spoke the truth. He offered sinners hope through Jesus. And in case you are unclear on what the gospel is, it would be incorrect of me not to preach it on a weekly basis. And I do my best to be very clear and preach the gospel, in short, every Sunday. And the gospel is this, that there was a man named Jesus. He was also fully God. He was born of a virgin, and he came to earth. We celebrate Christmas. He was grown up in a local area that we saw on the map. Then one day, he was called to full-time ministry. We'll read that next week. He got baptized because it's the obedient thing to do when you're a believer in God. Then he started walking on a long journey. He walked towards Jerusalem, healing people from their illnesses, cleansing them of demons, doing all kinds of miracles. And then the very last thing he did is he walked down into Jerusalem and allowed himself to be arrested, allowed himself to be beaten, allowed himself to be hung on the cross so that when the wrath of God falls on sin, all of the wrath of God fell on Jesus in that one moment. And God turned his back on Jesus and said, the full wrath of sin falls on you right now for all time for all people. And then Jesus died. But the story doesn't end there. It begins there, right? Because they took his body off the cross and they put it in a tomb for three days. But on the third day, we know what happens. The tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead. Grave no longer holds him. Death cannot constrain him. He has new life and gives that to those who believe. The gospel is this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you forgiveness for your sins. What you've done is gone and forgiven. You have hope for a new life in Christ, and he will enable you to choose the spirit-filled life, not the sin-filled life, day in and day out. And is it always easy? No. But is it always good? Absolutely. I'm reading the Chronicles of Narnia right now. Is Aslan safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. That's the kind of king we serve. He does things that are so wild and so dangerous because he loves us so much. The gospel is that God loves you, died for your sins, forgives you, and calls you to live that life. That's why we celebrate King Jesus. That's why we study the gospel. That's why we gather together on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. And John preached that message And it changed lives. People were being baptized into that. People were saying, yeah, I want my sins to be forgiven. Dunk me in the water. I mean, like they've never heard of this before. This is totally new. Strange guy in camel, come get in the water. Forgiveness from sins. It's totally new paradigm shift. But they're like, we get it. We want that. Our hearts are hungry for that. Let's do that. And then when Jesus comes, we'll be ready and we'll follow him. Because John was helping build a community. John built community. As he was preaching repentance and people were like, yeah, I think I want that. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I'm willing to dive in and figure it out as I go. And I'm willing to follow this crazy guy. And then when this other guy comes, I'm going to totally follow him as well. He built a community of people who said, we want this. We want to be away from the burden of the law. We want to be away from the sin that shackles us. We want this hope and this joy and this peace that is being talked about that King Jesus is coming to bring. So John was building this community of people who heard the truth and were baptized, and they were literally, Scripture tells us in the New Testament, 
being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. They were being taken out of their old sinful lives that were causing problems for them and for others and being put into King Jesus' kingdom because the kingdom is at hand, is what John was saying. They went from the community of the Old Testament law to the community of New Testament grace. They were prepared for the message that Christ would preach because it wasn't finished, right? John was preaching the pre-message. He was like the warm-up act. You go to a concert and there's the band that plays before the band, and sometimes you just have to get through that band to get to the good band, right? They do it at stand-up comic places, too. You have to get through the people that are still figuring out how to tell jokes until you get to the guy that can really tell the jokes. Now, John knew what he was preaching. He was not like uh, any less preaching of a message, but Jesus was bringing this whole new paradigm. People were being ushered in through John the Baptist into this community, and Jesus was going to cement the whole thing together. He was preparing a community of people who loved Jesus before they met Jesus. Now, this is, this is all well and good. We can read the story of John the Baptist and go, that's great. But we need to not just look at John's life. We need to look at our lives, right? We need to say, what is this calling us to? How can we be John the Baptist? What are we supposed to do? Am I supposed to wear camel? Is that what God is saying? Do I need to go into the ocean to be baptized? The cold rivers, do I need to crack the ice and jump in? What does this mean for me today? That's the question we need to wrestle with. What does this mean for our life? Well, we need to do what the Bible says. We need to do what John did. We need to love Jesus. We need to serve people. We need to build community. We're to do what John did. We're to love Jesus, right? He's our king. If you believe in the gospel story that Jesus came and died for your sins and rose again and gave you new life, he's your king. That's really great. He's a fantastic king. Wouldn't want another king. Don't want another king. He's my king. He's the only king I'll ever have. He's the one who saved us and paid the price on the cross for our sins. He was generous, his life, not ours. And such love that he gave us should motivate us to love. We love because he first loved us, right? We only know about true love because he first demonstrated it towards us. Otherwise, we would have a false idea of love, a cultural idea of love. But Jesus gave us a biblical idea of love, that it's a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense by the help of God's Holy Spirit. That's the biblical love that Jesus gave to us. He demonstrated a preference for the well-being of us over and above himself, even to the point of death on a cross. He did it by the help of God's Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to live. He loved us like that. We love him like that. We're willing to lay our lives down, our, our pride down, our, anything that we own. We would say it belongs to him and say, do with it as you will. But in that, he says, I entrust it to you. So use it for your enjoyment. Have a car, have a house, have food, um, have some extra money. Spend it on yourself. Spend it on some friends. Live life and enjoy it, but don't forget to serve your king with what you have. All of this is to say we worship King Jesus with everything we have and everything we are. And then we serve him as a people group. Together we serve him. Individually we serve him as we have been gifted. Some of you are gifted like John, slightly, you know, a little crazier than the rest of the world. That's okay, right? I'm a little weirder than the average person, and I acknowledge that. But God made me the way I am. And I've tried hard to fight against that at times. 
different seasons of my life, I've tried to look like the other people. I've tried to lead like the other leaders. Do you want to know what? It doesn't work. You have to be who God made you to be, and then you are this great, efficient channel for the Holy Spirit. But if you try and be who you are not crafted to be, now God can still use you, but it's a little more uncomfortable for you. Instead of just saying, God, you made me this way. I don't quite understand all my quirks. It's a little weird to be me at times, but I know that when I'm obedient and I love you and I follow you, you do great things in and through and around me, and that's the life that I want. I want to be truthful to other people when it comes to the gospel. I can serve people by being truthful. I will never serve you as a pastor if I am not truthful about the detriment of sin in life and the hope that Christ offers. I must always be truthful about that. I must serve people through sacrifice. I can serve people through volunteering in a ministry, right? Through serving in an outreach. These are ways that we get to serve people. There's endless lists of ways to serve. But you need to serve as God uniquely made you to serve. Not like your husband or your wife. Not like your children. Not like the guy next door to you. Um, like God made you to serve. That is attractive when people see the Holy Spirit in you like that. It will draw people like it drew people to John. And when you love Jesus and love people and serve them as Jesus loves and serves you, then a community will naturally be built. You cannot have the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the attitudes of Christians who are loving Jesus and loving people and serving people and not see an increase. The book of Acts tells us about that. If you gather together and you love Jesus and you love people and you serve people, you meet needs in love, God adds to that number. It's not some sort of magical formula. There's no sudden number. Happens in the book. Sometimes it's a slow, steady growth. But we do know that when you love Jesus and serve people, a community of Jesus followers is built. And that is attractive. And people come and see, what is that about? More people are added to the community day by day. How do you build community in your daily life, though? Well, you can welcome everyone regardless of their past, present, or future choices, right? We want this church to be a place that anyone can step foot in, no matter what they're doing, what they've done, where they come from, their life choice, doesn't matter. This needs to be a place where people can come in and go, I feel safe to even live my sinful life for a while while still attending this church. Because just because they walk in the door doesn't mean they have it all together. Anybody have it all together? No? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Shelly. <laughs> I can't call my wife a liar. Uh, so, um, yeah, none of us have it all together. So we want people who don't have it all together to be willing to come in and see that we love Jesus and we don't have it all together, but he's working on us. And it's a safe place to come be worked on by the love of Christ. We don't want to show partiality. We want to know God's love and demonstrate God's love. We want to um, encourage one another in life and faith. How many of you email friends or call friends during the week or the month and say, I was just thinking about you and praying for you. Um, hey, I know you had something tough going on today. How'd that go? Any of you guys do that? It's a really good practice, a really good practice to do. Um, I try and do it at least once a week. Um, there's a few folks that I identify that I kind of hammer home a little more on my oikos that I want a little more relationship with. So I find a way to text or call or email or stop by their place of work. You can pray for one another. That's another way to build community. We don't actually save people, contrary to popular cultural belief. Christians don't save people. 
God saves people. But we can pray for people, and we can be available when God wants to use us. You can pray for your oikos. Um, it's in my Bible. It's on my iPad. It's um, written down in the beginning of my book. It's stuck on my computer. It's on my phone. I want to actively be seeking after my oikos, my people, my 8 to 10 people that God has uniquely positioned me to minister to because of my weird quirks, my common interests with them, the fact that I see them at the same time at the same place every week because of my habitual patterns that I go the same place at the same time every week. That's one of the ways God has uniquely positioned me in these people's lives. These are all ways that we can build community, and there's a lot more. God wants us to love Jesus. He wants us to love him recklessly as our king, to stop at nothing, to following him. He wants us to serve people like God served people, and he wants us to help build that community that he's already building, right? Um, community group question time. Little explanation. This section of the book, um, I want it to continually be before you day in and day out as you use this book, week in and week out as you use it to write notes in. Um, I want you to see the section that says community groups, go deeper, because we need to live in community together. It's not enough that you're a believer and you just come on Sunday morning. That's really good, and it's a great place to start, but we don't all get to sit down together. This is more of a I preach and you listen and we sing, and that's how corporate worship is. You need small community of believers, wherein you become intimate with each other's lives and you say, I know where you're struggling and let me pray with you. I see a need and let me help you meet that. True fellowship community really happens in a group of, guess it, 8 to 15. (laughs) Okay? Any larger than that and you start to lose the intimacy. Any smaller than that and sometimes it's a little awkward because it's like three of you and it can still happen but you can grow from there. So I want you to see every week that there's a need for you to be involved in a community group. Sunday morning Bible study, great group to start in, okay? Um, Wednesday night Bible study, another great group to go to. Now, our house, we have a small group. We're starting up the second week in March, um, and, uh, and you can come to that group. We, are, we share a meal, and we study the Bible, and we pray and play games. It's fun, okay? Um, I think the Lanhams have a group that we'll be starting up. What we want to do is meet in small groups, if you are not in any one of those groups I mentioned, you do not have a Bible study or a small group of people you get together with, to pray. you need to be. It's part of the Christian life. We've been called to live in community together, large community and small community. So if you're interested in what that might look like for your life, there's a sign-up sheet on the back wall. Just go put your name and some contact information down, and we'll start more groups if we need to. We'll find a group that fits you if we need to, but you need to be in community, and I want that to be in front of you regularly. To that end... There's going to be questions every week that I have for you to discuss in community with other believers. And if you do not have a community group right away, it might be your family. You might make dinner table discussion midweek. How is this playing out in our lives, in our family? You might have a couple folks at work that you can have coffee with. That's another great way to organically start a um, community group, right? It doesn't have to be super formal. It just has to be together. Um, So here's the questions that I have for you this week. Do you love Jesus? Do you serve Jesus? These are really basic questions, but sometimes it's really good to go back to the very basics. 
Will you build a Jesus community in your home, at your work, at school, the grocery store when the line's really long? It's a great place to start a Jesus community. Who, I think these ones are already preprinted for you. Who are you preparing to receive Jesus? Who are you building into? And maybe the flip question of that is, who prepared you? Who acted like John the Baptist in your life and said, hey, you got sin. Jesus can help with that. These are questions to reflect on. It kind of taking you back to the beginning of your faith. And how did you come to know Jesus? And who helped you learn about Jesus? And who are you helping to do the same? And how can you love Jesus and demonstrate that in your daily life? These are questions to talk about. Family, dinner time, coffee shop, lunch break, small group. These are all good places to talk about them. Practice them. Create disciplines in your life for loving Jesus, serving people, and building community. And I would say this. Um, we started right off the bat in the book of Matthew talking about baptism. We're going to talk about baptism next week. If there's anyone who believes in Jesus and has not been baptized... We can totally baptize you. That's like one of my favorite things to do. So if you love Jesus and have not been baptized, or maybe you now believe in Jesus having heard the gospel, or you're curious and you're not sure and you want to talk, um, just please let me know, um, because I would love to talk with you. I'd love to baptize you. Um, these are things that we want to celebrate as a community of believers who love Jesus. So all that to say, um, you, we can baptize you any day of the week, any week of this sermon series, but it's just fun to do it on a day we talk about baptism. So if you're interested, uh, next week and even this week, if you want, uh, it is available. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. The worship team is going to come up. We're going to worship Jesus. Um, and as we sing this first song, um, pray that you would just um, you listen to God's heart for your heart. That you would be moved by his Holy Spirit. And that you would be prepared to be a sanctuary, a vessel for God. Lord... I pray that as um, we've heard this word from your word, um, a call to be like John the Baptist, a little bit different than the rest of culture, right? And we're, called to, we're called to look different because we look like you. Jesus, you didn't look anything like that culture of the day. Um, your attitudes were different. Your, your grace more abundant. And we're called to demonstrate that, Father. Would you fill us today with your Holy Spirit so that we can go out and demonstrate this love to other people. We know we can't do it without you. So we sit before you, Lord, and we say, would you just do this work in us, Father? We love you. You're our king, and we worship you this morning. It's in your son's name. All right, folks, that's the benediction. Um, it's not your kingdom, it's God's kingdom, but you get to go help build it.